Hey guys, what's going on? Welcome to a brand new edition of the Sam Bissell Podcast on the Ambiguous Podcast Solutions. Right now, I'm going to be bringing you the latest and greatest going on around the world of Hollywood. Hope everyone had a wonderful weekend. I know it was a three-day weekend due to Columbus Day, so that's the reason why I took off on Monday, but I'll be here for the rest of the week, and there's a lot of stuff that happened over the weekend that I do want to get into. There was a big trailer for nine days that I want to talk about, some major superhero news that made its way over the weekend, some behind-the-scenes footage of some major tentpoles that will be coming out in the next few years i want to kind of discuss what's going on what could this possibly mean what are they actually shooting so there's some interesting tidbits that i want to get into about that and i'm going to have reviews for two films that i watched this past weekend that i want to talk about one good one bad i'll explain it later on in the podcast but the first thing that i do want to talk about was a story that broke over the weekend according to deadline and it was announced that gal gadot and patty jenkins the dynamic duo of the wonder woman franchise that has been probably the dc film's biggest franchise out of everything that has come from their cinematic universe are reuniting once again not for wonder woman but for something in the completely different realm especially it is a biopic and one that takes place all the way in ancient Greek times, and that is the tale of Cleopatra. And it will have Gal Gadot starring as Cleopatra and Patty Jenkins behind the camera once again, directing Gal Gadot in this film. Letta, uh, excuse me, Calogris will be writing the screenplay, and she is a writer for some hits and misses over her resume over the last few years. She's done Alexander. She's done Alita Battle Angel, which has kind of become a cult classic over the last year or so, which was directed by Robert Rodriguez and produced by James Cameron. And she was also the writer for what I personally think is a very underrated film in Martin Scorsese's filmography from the last decade, and that is Shutter Island with Leonardo DiCaprio. I thought that was a very good neo-noir film that came from Martin Scorsese that we hadn't really seen from him before and I really did enjoy it and I highly recommend checking it out when you can and I thought it had some great twists and turns uh, a great story great characters really good dialogue so there is again some hits and misses within this resume of the screenwriter and I think when you look at it from the the turn point of Gal Gadot and Patty Jenkins I think this is terrific in terms of them teaming up together because I think if you were to tell me that if this was a different director and Gal Gadot I think I would be a little bit more hesitant because for me I think Gal Gadot is a is a good actress I don't think she is incredible I thought what Patty Jenkins got out of her in Wonder Woman was incredible and Gal Gadot surprised me in that film but everything else that I've really kind of seen from Gal hasn't really hit it out of the park for me besides Wonder Woman and I think Patty Jenkins plays to Gal's Gal's strengths a lot more than her weaknesses and so for Patty Jenkins to come in behind the camera she knows what Gal Gadot can do with this role probably and is going to be able to play to her strengths and not her weaknesses and really kind of get the best performance that she can out of her. And could this potentially be an Oscar-worthy role? I mean, maybe. This definitely has the, the chance whenever you look at biopics, whenever you look at especially in old Hollywood, which we're not in right now, but these kind of films were always around and always vying for Oscars during the award season campaigns. You look at Ben-Hur, The Ten Commandments, Cleopatra with Elizabeth Taylor. These were all very famous films at the time and was a trend in old Hollywood for all these big epics that were three, three and a half hours, even four hours sometimes. And you would kind of have intermissions in between the, the acts of the films to kind of break it up into two parts. And I'm not saying that this is going to be a, a three-hour movie. If I had to guess, this is probably going to be two and a half hours at most. I think the, the Cleopatra film with Elizabeth Taylor is an incredible film and it kind of resembles the old Hollywood that we read about in the history books and really kind of revel in their past times. And when you look at this film, it's going to be produced by 
Paramount Pictures, which has been kind of starting to get on a little bit of a roll with their new term going on with Emma Watts, who is over at 20, 20th Century Studios. And this is a big get for them. And when you look at the history of Cleopatra in 1963, 20th Century Fox produced that film and it nearly bankrupt that studio but thank god it really went on to have great success for them and i'm that's probably not going to happen to paramount it's probably going to be more of a modest budget than something ridiculous but i think the tandem of, of patty jenkins and gagado is a great dynamic duo to have and again i don't know who the director would be if it wasn't patty jenkins and i think if it was another star with patty jenkins i'd be excited if it was Gollum, another director, I wouldn't really know how to feel because, again, I think Gollum is a is a good actress. She really shines with Wonder Woman, but I don't know if that, if, uh, if another director would know how to play to the strengths of Gal Gadot as much as Patty Jenkins knows. And I think she probably got the same performance, if not helped elevate Gal Gadot with Wonder Woman 1984, which we'll hopefully see soon. And so I think this is a great tandem. I think this is a great pickup and definitely one to be on the lookout for whenever it comes out. Because I don't know, it probably come out in the next few years. Gal Gadot is a very busy actress. She is somebody who has name brand recognizability to her. She's going to be in the new Red Notice film with Dwayne Johnson, Ryan Reynolds. So she she is somebody that is getting a lot of work, which she so much very well deserves. And I'm excited to see what this does. But don't expect this for another few years. But what do you guys think about the tandem of Gal Gadot and Patty Jenkins reuniting again, not for a Wonder Woman film, but for a Cleopatra film? Let me know and leave your thoughts below. And now I want to move over to some behind-the-scenes photos and videos that we're getting for some major, major films that are coming out in the next two years or so. And the first one that I want to talk about is some behind the scenes photos and videos that we're getting from the set of The Batman. And it seems like a lot of these set photos and videos are kind of behind the scenes of people kind of just walking around and they see some of the action kind of going on and they stop and you kind of get the pictures and you see the stuff that is going on without a lot of the major effects in play. And it seems like the Batman as it has been confirmed a few weeks ago, is back into production after they had a shutdown, after it was reported that their star Robert Pattinson tested positive for COVID-19. But it seems like they're back at it. They're looking to finish up this production soon, hopefully, even though we're not getting this film until 2022. But it seems like we're getting some more footage and, and videos of this of this film. And it seems like from a lot of the behind-the-scenes footage, we're getting looks at Robert Pattinson as Bruce Wayne, we're getting kind of our first unofficial look as Zoe Kravis as Selena Kyle. We saw her in the in the DC fandom preview, kind of in her, it seemed like, origin story Catwoman attire. We saw um, John Turturro playing Carmine Falcone, where he's got kind of like, it seems like a beard. He looks kind of like a crime boss. And seems like unofficially, again, all this unofficially confirmed, we got a look at what could be some Riddler henchmen that are lurking about at this funeral. And we got another look at Colin Farrell, more in the daytime, where we kind of get to see him look completely unrecognizable as Oswald Cobblepot, a.k.a. the Penguin. And it seems like the scene that they were shooting in these videos and, and photos that we saw is an extension of that funeral sequence from the DC fandom preview that we got where that that car rams right through and this guy seems like he has a bomb and it seems like it's going to be this whole situation where Pattinson has to turn into Batman and then try to figure out what's going on. So it seems like this filming is more of the exterior shots now than interior. So I think, again, this looks exciting. I think it's kind of cool that we get these photos, again, unofficial, but it's kind of cool to see these people in their attire, working, trying to make this the best they possibly can. I think Zoe Kravis looks great as Selena Kyle. I think there's going to be speculation of is she working with the mob? What kind of, what's the mob's connection with Gotham right now? How does a Riddler fit into all of this? Does he have henchmen? And again, from the, the trailer that we got at DC Fandom, which by far is my favorite trailer of the year so far, in which it definitely invokes that Seven vibe of, of David Fincher's Seven. And, and Matt Reeves kind of talks about it where he doesn't say Seven, but he talks about these neo noir thrillers that over the years like a the french connection and 
I think we're going to get that with this movie, and I'm excited for it. And I think this looks really cool. Again, unofficial stuff that we're seeing, but what we're seeing from these photos and videos is awesome. And I cannot wait to see more as the production goes along. And it seems like they are shooting still in the UK, and it seems like that's where they're going to be for a majority of the time. There have been rumors and speculation that they could go to Chicago, which was a big mainstay during the Nolan trilogy of filming the Batman films, the exteriors, to make it look like Gotham City. So they might go there. And Matt Reeves or one of the additional photographers and another unit might go out and get some exterior shots of probably maybe the, 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 the city landscapes or the skyscrapers to kind of give it that Gotham City vibe, which Chicago has been used for, again, with the Nolan films. And I believe it was also used... Oh, no, it wasn't used for Justice League. I don't believe it was used for any of the, the Burton films, but I definitely... Yeah, so it was just the Nolan films that were, that were utilized with Chicago. So they could be using that to get some exterior shots. So it looks interesting. Looks like a lot of fun, and I can't wait to see more of the Batman, even though we have to wait until March of 2022. But it'll be worth it seeing what they have cooking up for us with that film. And then another behind-the-scenes look that we got over the weekend was some more behind-the-scenes of Mission Impossible 7. And this time, instead of seeing Tom Cruise fighting on a train or look like kind of skydiving off a motorcycle off of a cliff, he's in Rome this time and looks like to be shooting a, a car chase sequence that is very notorious in the Mission Impossible franchise. And he's not alone in this sequence as it seems like he's filming with one of his co-stars being the newcomer to this franchise, Peggy Carter herself, Haley Atwell is coming on board, and it seems like Tom Cruise is rescuing her from a police car, not, not a police car, but uh, but one of the cars, and it seems like there's cops involved, and it just seems like they're just shooting something crazy, and Tom Cruise is being Tom Cruise and waving to the fans, acknowledging them, being a huge international movie star that he is, and, and overall a big movie star still, and he, he just seems like he's having a great time, and again, you see McQuarrie kind of directing Haley Atwell and Tom Cruise. What's the relationship between those two characters? Is Haley Atwell... We've heard from McCory say that she's somebody who is both for and against the Mission Impossible Task Force. So what's her role? Is she a good guy, bad guy? Uh, we really don't know. And we don't really have a lot of details going on on what the next two installments of Emma, of the Mission Impossible franchise are going to be. So it's going to be very interesting. But I think kind of seeing Tom Cruise with the short haircut, he looks a little older than I, I think I could see in some of the other films, but he still looks like he's got it. Again, talking about that train sequence, diving off of a cliff, it seems like he's still the daredevil that we all know him to be. He's going to give everybody or everything he has for the audience. He's not going to shortchange them at all. So this seems exciting, and it's just kind of business as usual. And you see people, even in the the Batman behind-the-scenes footage, they're all wearing masks. They're, I guess, really socially distancing as much as they can if you're not a part of the main unit that is actually shooting in the moment. But it seems like they're really kind of abiding by those COVID rules. And they're shooting out in these locations right now and trying to set up as much of a safe space as they possibly can. So it it all looks exciting. And and I cannot wait to see what they do with this. Uh, I think getting Christopher McQuarrie back was a big get for them to have him kind of write the next two films after I think he did a stellar job with the sixth film, Fallout. I'm excited to see what he can do with these next two films and what he and Tom Cruise can continue to develop on and evolve in the Mission Impossible franchise. So what do you guys think about these behind-the-scenes photos of the Batman of Mission Impossible 7, which doesn't have a title yet? Let me know what you think and leave your thoughts below. I would really like to know what you guys think. And then moving on from behind-the-scenes photos and videos of all these major cool franchise films that are coming out, one thing that we do know is on the way in the next few weeks I think really two weeks, is the next adventure in The Mandalorian, and that is season two 
of this great Star Wars show that we got a first season of was an Emmy-nominated show, I almost said movie, show for Best Drama. And we're, again, almost there. Countdown is really starting to ramp up. The marketing is starting to ramp up a little bit by bit. And we got on Monday the some character posters of the main stars and characters of The Mandalorian, specifically Mando, Cardoon, Grief Karga, and we also got the child. And these kind of posters are a lot more gritty, dirty than kind of the glossy ones that we got for the first season, which they were more clean cut, more kind of sophisticated, crystallized. And this one, I think, invokes more of that old Western type of feeling that Favreau was inspired by when making this show in which the first season was, even though it in the end, it had a, it had an overall story. It was more about these standalone old gunslinger adventures that this bounty hunter and this child were having. And I think for this next season, it's going to be a little bit more complex and gritty. And we're seeing that with these with these posters. It's not going to be as simplistic as I think the first season which was which was more experimental and seeing if all this put together can work and it was an outstanding success for everybody involved with that first season and along with the character posters we got a new tv spot for the the show and it showcased little snippets of new footage nothing crazy new but it kind of extended out scenes that we saw in that first trailer specifically towards the very end where they're in that kind of of fighting ring and this guy comes up with his goons and it seems like it's a showdown between them and Mando and then the baby uh, baby Yoda, the child, kind of says, I'm out of here he, and he kind of closes up and then it kind of goes to black and then we hear all the action happen and then it ends and we see kind of the aftermath of it this one kind of showcases that fight sequence just a little bit, but it kind of just showcases that Favreau, the directors, which there are some new ones coming on board this year, the writing is all there. I think this is going to, again, kind of evolve what we've already seen, kind of open the net to the rest of the Star Wars universe. Again, we might get some rumored talked about characters from the overall Star Wars universe that could come into this show and help expand out Star Wars. So there's a lot of anticipation riding on this. And again, in a world of COVID-19 right now, where there's not a whole lot of stuff to really look forward to and in terms of big IP franchises from the MCU that has kind of been sidelined because of COVID and the DCEU, and we're getting stuff pushed back even to 2022 now, I think between The Mandalorian, we have Soul coming out on Disney Plus on December 25th. You also have the WandaVision coming out at the end of the year. Disney Plus can kind of be that space where people that are craving, especially for, for a lot of geekdom people that are craving this kind of stuff in these universes, can be a major, major positive boost for Disney Plus and kind of be the talk of the rest of the year when, again, not a lot of big movies, not, not a lot of TV shows other than these shows on Disney Plus that I think are going to be very much talked about. I think Disney Plus could own the last quarter of 2020 riding into the beginning of 2021 where people can be safely in their homes, watch these shows, movies, and enjoy them uh, from, from their own comfort. And I think from what hearing what Disney is doing yesterday in terms of realigning their priorities and reshifting kind of their corporate strategy and structure, their leadership roles within the company, they're really kind of aligning themselves to going after Disney Plus of being their number one priority. And I think you're really going to see that start to formulate at the end of the year where I think very early on, especially all of this year, even though we had Hamilton and the one and only Ivan and some things here and there with Disney Plus, which were big, but Hamilton was was really big. But other than that, there wasn't as anything as big as that or Mandalorian when Disney Plus first came out on November 12th. There's really been kind of a dead space. But I think we're going to start to see now what we expected for Disney Plus in these next two two to three months to close out the year between, again, Mandalorian, Soul, 
and WandaVision whenever that comes out. And The Mandalorian is going to be taking up a lot of time in the next few months, really, as it was announced that the episode order was came out. And unlike last year, where there were two, sometimes there'd be two episodes a week, especially that, that first week, premiere week, we had two episodes. And then when The Rise of Skywalker came out in the last week of December, we got the second and last episode of the season in one week. This this time, we're only getting one episode a week. So again, that ramp up, that anticipation, talking about the episode all week will, I think, help people get on this and I think it could also attract people to come on and see the show because, again, there's nothing else out there. So Disney Plus could, could again, I think have a major, major surge in the next few months that could really help out. And Mandalorian is really going to, to continue that and I think start something new now that there is a pandemic and people don't want to go to the movies. There's nothing playing at the movies right now. There's nowhere else to go. Television is is the main source of really a lot of people's entertainment right now, and uh, it's all going to start with the Mandalorian. This is the way, as Mando likes to say all the time, and this is the way is starting out with these character posters, and we'll see where the rest of the marketing campaign goes from here. I think we're going to get another trailer, maybe next week. I don't know that for a fact. I I haven't I don't have any insider information, but if they do want to get another trailer out, it would probably be the best time to do it within the next week or so since this thing is coming out on October 30th unless they just want to go with this one trailer that came out a few weeks ago and just put out these 30 second spots throughout the next few weeks to kind of get people engaged and interested in seeing it so I think there's a lot of different ways they can go for this excuse me I think Mandalorian season two could be a a big big factor going to the rest of the year and start off a big upsurge for Disney Plus with some of the major content they have coming out in the next few months. What do you guys think about these Mandalorian Season 2 posters and the television spot? Let me know what you think and leave your thoughts below. And then moving over from the Star Wars universe to the DC universe, last night I saw this article and it kind of piqued my interest a little bit. It was showcase that maybe, potentially, there could be another DC fandom event next year. And this was kind of talked about. Somebody on Twitter said that they were they love DC fandom. They love what it brought over the last few weeks, which is kind of crazy to think that it's been over a month and a half since DC fandom premiered on the internet and kind of crashed the entire day of August 22nd. And, excuse me, the... This person was loving it. He, 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 they, they were excited about it. And I think it was Warner Brothers Television that put out something that said, well, wait till next year. We're going to have another one. It's going to be bigger and better and, and and crazy. And then it seemed like, I guess, an, an hour or so or right after they put that out there, it was taken right down. But you can't erase anything from the Internet. People snap snapshot it. It's there forever. And it seems like, again, not reported or confirmed by Warner Brothers, but it seems like next year there could be another DC Fandom event. And honestly, that's not surprising whatsoever. Again, just talking about it before, the success that DC Fandom had, it was... It was crazy. It was the thing on August 22nd. I know they had their kind of multiverse thing a few weeks later, but it wasn't really as big as that first day was on August 22nd. That was the Hall Age of the Hall Ages of 2020 where everybody, you didn't have to pay for anything. You just watched it and experienced all these panels happen. You saw new footage. You saw new announcements for projects being uh, being kind of created. You saw some video game announcements, some TV announcements, a lot of movie announcements, first looks, trailers. It, there was nothing else like it. And I think for people that never got to see Comic-Con, that is exactly the kind of thing that goes into it. And again, it, there was just nothing else. Even I kind of took the day didn't do anything else but kind of just go about of watching these panels, reporting on them, and getting out the word of what all these new details were going to be. And in a world where we have Disney, who does kind of their own convention with D23, you have Star Wars Celebration, which they do their own thing. Warner Brothers has always been the one studio that is always relied upon to kind of bring something to 
San Diego Comic-Con, and even Marvel Studios. They did it last year where they brought out their whole Phase 4 panel for what they're going to do post-Avengers Endgame, and that was probably the big thing that came out of San Diego Comic-Con last year. But in the subsequent years before that, it was always Warner Brothers that kind of gave us a big sense of of what's to come. And really because San Diego Comic-Con at home was a big failure this year, I think DC realized, well, instead of really kind of doing something like that, let's just take the whole day to ourselves and utilize this this platform. And, And they did it, and it worked in droves. Now, the questions kind of become... Because this was utilized because of the pandemic, even let's say if every, if large venue gatherings like San Diego Comic-Con and film festivals and concerts are able to go back to some kind of normal scene sometime next year in the beginning of 2020, in the first half of it, will DC Fandom become a live event, an in-person event, or will it still be a virtual event? Because even though I love the, the format of it, I thought there were some things that you just can't replicate online that you can only kind of do in person so I think that portion of it if they were to continue it online they would maybe rework that a little bit or maybe they don't have to do it all virtually they can all be in a room but we still get it online on the internet and also a big thing as well is do we do we have to pay for it? Because I think a big thing about DC Fandom was that everybody got to see it all around the world. You didn't have to pay anything at all. You didn't have to have exclusive access for any top tier stuff whatsoever. So I think that was a major factor to it as well. So a lot of questions to be had about this, but I definitely am not surprised that if we do get an announcement next year probably of a DC Fandom 2, uh, it would not surprise me whatsoever. And we could get a, a, another trailer for the Batman, our first official trailer, since the first one was really kind of a teaser and they only shot 25%. If, they, if they're all done and, and they're able to finish on time, which it sounds like they will do, the Batman will have finished and be in, in probably the middle of its post-production by the time July rolls around. So if this does come out in July or August, then they probably have a full, a full theatrical trailer that they can show with everything that they've shot and edited so far. We could get news of the new Green Lantern show, new stuff about The Flash. We could get maybe some announcements on it, whether the standard cut comes out in the beginning of 2020 or if it's scheduled for late 2021 we could get some stuff for that we could get some stuff on some future projects as well so there's a lot of different stuff black adam shazam 2 aquaman 2 there's a lot of stuff that can still be announced and still be unveiled at this fandom that i think warner brothers and dc have found uh, another avenue for them to utilize and the question becomes will they stick with comic-con or will they go this route which i think stinks for comic-con but it was the, the thing was so much fun on DC Fandom Day that again it was like it was like a Super Bowl event for geek for geekdom for people like myself and others that live off of this kind of stuff. It was like one of our Super Bowls where we just sat down. It was a big day, and at least here on the East Coast, our entire afternoon and evening was just devoted to the DC Fandom. So I would love another day like that in the future. And again, if they just keep keep evolving and say, okay, this worked, this didn't work, we can have more safety protocols if COVID is still around to utilize people being in in this area or this format, not kind of doing it from Zoom in a way where you can have people maybe interact with one another more so it can just kind of add to the the level of it. And and also, maybe if you can work the technology of it, it can all kind of be live because even though the broadcast itself was live, it was all shot weeks and weeks before time. So I think there's some things that they can work on. There's some logistics that they can figure out to make it better. I think overall the format of it, I thought it went off really, really well and they can utilize that for 2021 if this does turn out to be true, which again, I would be shocked if we don't hear about this next year happening sometime in 2021. What do you guys think about another potential DC fandom next year? Would you like one? Would you not like one? Let me know and leave your thoughts below. 
And then moving on to the last bit of movie news that I want to talk about today, and that is some details that came out from one of the Matrix 4 stars about the highly anticipated sequel that is now coming out around Christmas time, 2021. And Iron Fist star Jessica Henwick is one of the supporting characters or actors in this next Matrix 4 film, which is, again, very highly anticipated. One of the, 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 the Wachowskis is coming back for this. It's Lana Wachowski coming back for this film, not both siblings together. You have Keanu Reeves coming back, Carrie Ann Moss. You have Yahya Abdul-Mateen II coming in, Neil Patrick Harris. It's a very, very anticipated film. And if you know the history of The Matrix, especially, excuse me, that first one, it changed the game for visual effects, movie making, and is regarded as one of the most influential films of all time and how it kind of changed the landscape for movie making and cinema. And it seems like potentially Lana Wachowski did that again with The Matrix 4. And this is what Jessica Hanwick had to say about making the movie and still making the movie. They're still in production on it. There are definitely moments on the set where Yaya and I look at each other and we just go, Matrix 4. Those pinch me moments. Yeah, Lana is doing some really interesting things on a technical level in the same way that, you know, she created a style back then. I think she's going to change the industry again. And with this film, there's some camera rigs that I've never seen before that we're using. That's probably all I can say for that. So that as somebody who is a a, a lover of, again, cinema and behind the scenes, and, and I love camera angles, camera work, how technology is evolving, movie making over the years, to kind of hear how cameras are evolving is incredible. We've seen that over the last few years. This really excites me of, of what is Lana Wachowski utilizing that can be kind of new and different in a film like this. And so I'm really excited to see what she can do. It's not probably just going to be slow motion, but how the camera works, how you're able to angle certain things away, how you're able to maybe track things a certain way. I think that is going to be very, very interesting to see how she utilizes that, how she does it in the post-production process, because you can't do everything just through the physical production. A lot of it is through computer work and kind of, of, of sharpening things up and making sure it's smoothly done and smoothly transitioned over onto the big screen through the editing process. So I think for this, this is exciting. I'm very much looking forward to this film. But for me, I I really need to see some footage before I really give my stamp of approval of really being excited for this film. But hearing who's in front of and, of course, behind the camera and hearing this behind the scenes of what is really kind of being utilized for this film, it gets me really, really interested in in what this film can be. And even though there's always incredible praise for that first Matrix film, the last two Matrix films weren't that good and they were filmed together. They weren't filmed apart and they just didn't live up to that first film. And I think this this is going to have its own anticipation of maybe living up to that first film and kind of being a trailblazer in its own way. And I think Lana Wachowski, there's a reason she, that she came back to this film. It's not like she just came back for a money grab because her and her sister, they're still really, really good at what they do. And they've come out with, with films over the years that aren't as successful as what The Matrix was, but they're still, I think... For me, some good, decent films. Some of them are not good, but some of them are good. And I think for The Matrix 4, she wouldn't have tainted the history of this franchise, even with the second and the third film, if she didn't think there was a great idea with the story, with the visual aspects of what she wants to do, and take it to a new level. So I'm excited to see what Lana Wachowski is going to do with this film. I'm excited to see what the rest of the cast is going to do with this and see what they're able to bring out in The Matrix 4. Are you guys excited about this? Does Jessica Henwick's remarks make you excited for what you're going to get with this movie? Let me know what you think and leave your thoughts below. And away with the movie news now, but the final thing that I do want to talk about before going to my movie reviews is 
uh, the one and only trending trailer for the day, and that is for Nine Days. And it is uh, uh, an indie film that is starring Winston Duke of Black Panther and Zazie Beetz from Deadpool. And it's basically about this man who is kind of in this in-between of life, between between living and dying. And it seems like he uh, gives these souls, these personalities, nine days to test to, to make sure to see if one of them is worthy enough to go into the soul of this human body that will be born and live out their life. And for the other eight that don't make it or for the other five or four, I think, that are that are a part of it, they just disappear and they're never heard from again from existence. And it seems like this is about life and, t- and not taking things for granted and enjoying life and what is life and, and what are the things that you want in life most. And I, I love kind of films like this that, that make you look at yourself and, and hold up a mirror and say, this is, this is who this is, is who you are. What do you want to do with yourself? And I think we're going to get that with Disney Pixar Soul. It seems like this film is going to be doing it as well. And I didn't really I heard I heard about this film coming out of Sundance, but I didn't hear a whole lot about it. So I, I was very interested in it and now seeing the trailer and, and kind of reading more about what the story is gonna be. I'm very, very interested in seeing this movie. It's coming out January 22nd, 2021. So there's definitely a lot of stuff that could be in this film that could potentially be up for awards contention. It's gonna fall right within that eligibility window because of the extension with this year's Oscar. Oscars campaign, Oscars award season. So I think this could potentially get some love, whether it happens or not, I don't know. But I'm very interested in this film more so than when I was even a few days ago before seeing this trailer. What do you guys think about this trailer for nine days? Let me know and leave your thoughts below. And now with that out of the way, the final two things that I want to talk about today are the reviews for two movies that I saw this weekend. The first one that I want to talk about is the brand new Adam Sandler Netflix film, Hubie Halloween. And it stars Adam Sandler, Kevin James, Steve Buscemi is in it. Whoever you can think of as being the the main characters in an Adam Sandler film, they're in this movie. And it's basically about this guy named Hubie who is kind of the... The low man on the totem pole, to put it nicely, who is always getting picked on, made fun at from adults to, to even little kids. And really what he wants to do is just make sure that everyone is having a happy, healthy, safe Halloween. And this this one Halloween, it seems like there are some spooky, supernatural things going on. And Hubie has to go out and save the day, which sounds like something that is classic old time Adam Sandler. And for me, I am somebody who... I love Adam Sandler. I think his comedies from the 90s, early 2000s, Happy Gilmore, Billy Madison, The Wedding Singer, there's some great classic comedies in my opinion. I really do love young Adam Sandler, and I love some of his older movies as well. I thought The Longest Yard was a really good film, Funny People. I'm somebody who thinks That's My Boy is stupid funny. Like, it's it's so bad, it's stupid. But at that time, when I was a young kid, I went to go see that and I laughed at it. I, I thought it was humorous and I still think it's humorous at some points. And you have those low totem pole Adam Sandler films like You Don't Mess With the Zohan. Even his Netflix films like Ridiculous Six and, and Sandy Wexler and all those ones. They're just awful. But what I experienced with Hubie Halloween was just another level of bad. I mean, I was... I. I knew what I was getting into with this film, and against my better judgment, I watched it anyway. And it was exactly what I thought it was going to be. It was just another Adam Sandler garbage flag. And to me, it just made me angry because I know what this guy can do because he's made some really good comedies, some great comedies, again, when he was younger. he was He's a great comedian, but in my opinion, too, he's also a great actor. The guy can act. It's not like he's a bad actor and a bad comedian. He he's he, What he did with Uncut Gems last year with the Safdie brothers, he was in the thick of award season. He won an Independent Spirit Award, which isn't an Oscar, but in the indie world, that is a big award for him to win. 
And to go from that to go to this, and I know it, this is his bread and butter. This is what makes him the money. This is what the fans love from him. But for me, I I just say it's like, man, this isn't the 90s. This isn't even the early 2000s. This is, you got to move on from this stuff. Make make some chances with your art because you can do comedy. And and there there is some sentiment, I think, at the end. There is a twist to the end of Hubie Halloween that I'm like, that's a good lesson to learn, but it's just, it's the same stupid garbage comedy that I've seen over and over from him, and I don't mind stupid garbage comedy sometimes, but when I see it from him all the time, and it's, and it's the, 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 the lisp and the, the voice, and I'm like, I've seen this from you before, do something else, and even some of his Netflix films, I think The Do-Over is not a bad movie, it's eh, and even Murder Mystery is eh, compared to his other Netflix films, they're masterpieces pieces in my opinion but he it's if you love adam sandler and you love this comedy and you love his formula you'll love this movie there's no doubt in my mind it's there's nothing new or surprising about the movie is it right for Halloween time? I think it is. It's got it's it make it gets you in the mood for Halloween. I will say that about it. It got me in the mood of getting ready and excited for the Halloween season. So I'll give it that credit. But other than that, it's just it made me frustrated. It really made me angry. And I I just I'm I just take some chances with your art. And I know he has another interesting film that's coming out with I forget the basketball player but it's about him being a sports agent and it sounds like more of a of a dramatity than just a straight up comedy and that's the kind of stuff I want to see him do cuz I know he can act and I know he can perform and do amazing things and I know that again this is your bread and butter you this is the stuff that you just say I'm going to go back to the basics for this one cuz I know what my audience likes and 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 I respect that but at the same time I don't respect it because I know what you can do and to me, this is a passionate rant more than a review, but when I was watching it, this is what I was getting at. And to me, it's just, it just it's the same old stick from Adam Sandler that maybe in the 90s would have worked, but it just, it doesn't work right now. It doesn't work anymore. You gotta evolve yourself. But I know it won't happen because this is uh, from what i'm reading this is already one of the most highly touted netflix movies on the streaming service right now in terms of watches so it's going to be another success he knows what works people still come out and see this stuff so i i can't fault people for seeing it if they like it and i can't fault them for making this stuff if people keep watching it so it, it was another adam sandler dud for me and i was gonna do a zero out of ten which i never never do and i'm not gonna start now and i'm i'm gonna give it a one out of ten just because i thought the the twist ending it wasn't a great twist it wasn't like wow okay that was a twist where i have to watch the entire film again and re-examine it from a different perspective no it doesn't do that but i think it kind of the twist drives home the lesson for what adam sandler the writing wants you to learn from this movie which is you know be nice be kind and even kind of when they say even when something bad happens they're still bad to you you still are kind to people so i think there's a good lesson in that and i i do think getting into it got me into the halloween mood it definitely did that so if you're looking to get into the halloween mood you're looking for something i don't know i don't want to say stupid but if you're looking for adam sandler isms then this is the movie for you if you're an adam sandler fan you'll love this movie or you'll like this movie one of those two and i know some critics that are kind of are sliding this one under the bridge a little bit and just saying you know what it's a lot cuter than other adam sandler films and i i, I didn't see that i mean is it for kids it's not for young kids, but if you're like 11 plus, then I think this movie's for you. I think he kind of works the adult humor down a lot, but he makes it for adults, but he also makes it for younger kids that, you know, will, will get the humor that he's trying to get with this film. So I think that is what he's trying to do with his movies now. And again, because of kind of the the, the, the the little twist that is included in the ending, which drives home the lesson, which I thought was like, that was okay. And the, the getting in the mood for Halloween, I thought it, it I, I'd give those two points a one out of 10 for generosity's sake, really. Uh, another positive thing that I will say is that this film gets me excited for the young talent that's up and coming because 
again, this is a whole mosh pit of Adam Sandler people that work with him, great connections, they love working together, and he's got his crew. And he's worked with a lot of these younger kids that I've seen on, on especially the Disney Channel that have grown up. And if anything, it gets me excited for seeing these these young actors kind of get some more experience, even though to me this is a bad film, you still get experience on, on a movie like this, and it is a big production because, again, Adam Sandler's big. This is a big Netflix property for them, so to get that experience I think is big for them, and kind of the highlight for me, who I'm really excited to see down the line, is is Noah Schapp, who is from Stranger Things, and yeah, that's his name, Noah Schapp, and he plays Will Byers on Stranger Things, and it, to me, I had to stop it for a sec because in my mind, I'm like, damn, this kid's growing up. And I remember watching Stranger Things like 2015, 2016, and he was a little kid. So to me, it was kind of like a like a wow moment. But also, it gets me excited to see what he's going to do in the future because uh, he didn't blow me out of the park. But I'm like, this kid's got some comedy chops within him and some acting chops so I really want to see what he can do in the future with some really good films and see what he can do and evolve with on Stranger Things so the three things that it got me excited for was or really four it got me in the Halloween mood twist ending was with the emotion was was nice it was a good landing on that on that aspect the the young stars I'm really looking forward to see their acting careers evolve from here and especially Noah Schapp who also watching him got me excited to see what they're going to do with Stranger Things 4 because again they're they're grown up now probably in the high school age range what are they going to do incorporating that element after kind of introducing it in the third season so those four things from Hebe Halloween got me excited for future things down the line. So at least I can thank Hebe Halloween for that. But uh, this is one of the worst films I've seen this year, hands down. No no question about it. And uh, yeah, I, again, I recommend it for you if you're a fan of Adam Sandler films. If you have Netflix and you're looking for something to watch and you want to watch Adam Sandler films... Then and you like Adam Sandler films, I recommend it to you. For everyone else that it's just, if you're on the fence about this movie and you know what an Adam Sandler film is, don't watch it. Do not watch it. I'm giving you that right now. So I give it a one out of 10. Don't watch it unless you're a fan of Adam Sandler films and you don't mind that comedy and you like that kind of comedy. So that is my review for Hubie Halloween. And the last film that I want to review is one that I actually found a lot more enjoyable this time on Amazon Prime. And it's part of this Blumhouse Amazon collaboration that they're having for this Halloween season that will also translate into next year as well, where they have these mini movies that are out right now. And, and one of the first ones that debuted on the streaming service was called The Lie. It stars Peter Skarsgård and Joey King. And it really, it's about this family whose daughter accidentally, or not really accidentally, but it seems like she murders her friend and the family goes through all these webs to kind of cover it up and save their daughter from going to jail. And I, I really, really liked this film. I, I thought it was a good film. I like the dynamic between the, the family. It's this really estranged family that has to come together through these really kind of tragic times. And kind of talking, going back to Hubie Halloween for a sec, whereas really the only star point was that twist where even though it was a twist that had some heart, it wasn't something where it's like a twist where it makes you kind of rethink everything. This There's a twist at the ending of this film that makes you kind of have to go back and I think kind of readjust your perspective of this film and kind of see it from a different angle. And I thought the twist really worked. It reminded me of a, a Twilight Zone, Black Mirror, M. Night Shyamalan kind of twist ending that happened that makes you kind of be like, oh, wow, that happened. Okay. And it kind of makes you re-examine everything you just really watched. I think that was really effective for this film. The, the Again, the acting to me was superb throughout. Speaking of rising stars, Joey King is somebody who's been on a lot of people's rising star list. And she just adds to that level of anticipation for her for what she can do down the line she is incredible in this film the 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 emotion and kind of trying to be somebody who tries to move on from this but at the same time is kind of stuck in it and she's somebody who's dealing with a lot of emotional trauma in her life it's a really complex interesting character to get into and also from a story perspective of these two parents where 
how far will you go to cover something like murder up for someone that you love? And and I think the ending, again, the ending kind of puts it in a different perspective uh, of what they do and how far they actually take it. And again, it kind of changes your perspective on the whole situation in, in less than five minutes. So I think that is an effective way for a for a good film. Again, this isn't something that's fantastic or great. I think throughout it, it did drag in in the beginning a little bit and in the middle, I think there could have been more suspense and, and, and thrills because I think especially for something that is a little bit more not not as as suspenseful or as horrific as maybe I think some of the other Blumhouse films are going to be with this new like kind of mini mini movie thing that they're doing with Amazon. But I think with the when we talk about the twists, when we talk about kind of the the thematic elements in this film, I think it really adds some great moments in there that make you think a little bit along with the performances. Could have been some more suspense in there. Could have been a, a little bit more story, I, I think. But at the same time, I think there is a lot to think about with this film. I think there are there's a lot there on the surface that does some great stuff. And there are some moments... like deep down within I think you ask a lot of questions and and make you think a lot about this film and make you would make you want to go back and and watch it again so I give this a six out of ten I really I really did enjoy it I thought it was I thought it was very good and I highly recommend it especially over Hubie Halloween I definitely think that if you're looking for something to watch this is again nothing scary or horrifying but it's more of, of a psychological horrifying in a way than it is kind of scares and thrills and blood and gore so i i think people can enjoy this and i definitely think the questions that you have with this movie can lead to some discussions at the end of it and so i definitely like that and i definitely enjoyed this film and i recommend it if especially if you do have amazon prime and that is my review for the lie so if you guys have seen Hubie Halloween or The Lie. What did you guys think about both of them? Do you agree with my assessment on both or or one or the other? Let me know down below and leave your thoughts. And that will do it for this edition of the Sam Bissell Podcast. Thank you so much for tuning in. Be sure to check out my channel for more content. You can check me out on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, Radio Public, SoundCloud, and much more. Also, make sure to tune in onto the Ambiguous Podcast Solutions. And be sure to check out the other amazing shows that are on there, such as You Mad Bro? The number one source to see what the internet is pissed off about on a weekly basis. Also, check out goal-driven professionals geared toward improving client relations, return on investment, and customer acquisition costs for independent businesses and services. Also, check out The Daily Grind, a weekly motivational podcast with Kelly Johnson giving you everyday tips and key takeaways on reaching your goals. Along the way, also check out these other awesome shows on the podcast solutions, such as Wrestle Attic Radio, WrestleMania Podcast, and Midnight Showing. You can check these out and so much more on the website at theambiguouspodcastsolutions.com, also on Facebook and Twitter at Real Ambiguous. And if you want to check out Canopy Treehouse, use the coupon code AMBIGUOUS. Also, when you get a second, make sure to follow me on social media. You can find me on Twitter at Basel Samuel. That's B-U-S-S-E-L-L-S-A-M-U-E-L. Yeah, that's B-U-S-S-E-L-L-S-A-M-U-E-L. And on Facebook at Sam Basel. Thank you guys again so much, and until next time, keep on screening.